want to invite you, as we start this morning, just close your eyes. Just, just get comfortable. Just close your eyes right now. It's not theoretical. Close, close your eyes. And I, I just want you to, to picture yourself in the most peace-filled scenario you can imagine. Like, if you had to be in a place of just, like, total peace, where would you be? Who would you be with? What would you be doing? Who would not be there? <laughs> just, just picture yourself in a moment of peace. Would you imagine the sights, the sounds, the feel? Would you open your eyes and just take a moment and with just one person next to you, I want you to just describe whatever it was that you had in your mind right now with somebody next to you out loud. Just like, what were you thinking about when you were imagining being in a place of peace? All right, all right, let's, let's kind of come back in together. You know, um, for some of you, just sharing your place of peace wrecked your peace, right? Like, just having to tell somebody, like, where, where you found peace, immediately you're, you're like, I'm no longer at peace, Dave. Like, just having to say it out loud. Like, I, I wish we had time to go around the room and to talk about, like, what you imagine. You know, for me, like, when I picture peace, I picture myself, like, in one of those Corona commercials. You know, I'm just like on the beach somewhere, you know, it's just like, it's just like beautiful, like my, my feet are kicked up, my, my kids are somewhere nearby, playing, laughing, getting along, not needing anything from me, like, <laughs> Sid's holding my hand, we're having a great conversation, my abs are just amazing, you know, like, <laughs> while we're fantasizing, I might as well go all the way, right? Yeah, so, you know, so for some of you, this is your picture of peace, like sitting on a beach, you know, for some of you, it's you're in a cabin, like in the mountains, like overlooking a valley. You're, you're like reading a, a Bob Goff book, like being like, like, couldn't you be an amazing Christian right here? Like, you know, you just wake up in that cabin, you're like, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, it's just like, just there. Or, or maybe for some of you, you're like in this like snow, uh, like covered cabin. You're like looking out the window and you're like bundled up and Frank Sinatra's Christmas album is on, that record player you don't own, but you imagine you have one, right? Like just at peace or, 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 or maybe for you when, when you picture peace, you picture drinking a cup of coffee, sitting with a friend, just like looking out the window. Like we, we all have like a picture of peace, right? Like when you imagine just like, okay, like here I am. Like, uh, you know, I don't know you. I don't know your story, maybe. I, I would argue that when you pictured peace a few moments ago, like none of you went, here's what I'm imagining. I'm imagining just piles of laundry that need to be folded. Like, like nobody, that was your picture of peace. Or, or none of you said, here's, here's my picture of peace. I want to teach a toddler how to finger paint on a brand new white carpet. Or none of you, when you pictured peace, imagined cramming for finals, 
or sitting in that like overrun cubicle at work trying to meet the end of your deadlines. None of you imagined that moment of peace and pictured opening up the calendar on Google and just seeing no space for anything. Like, have you ever had one of those moments where a friend says, can you go to lunch and you pull up the calendar and immediately you have a stroke. It's like, oh. Or none of you, when you picture peace, imagine just sitting in rush hour traffic, just endless lights, right? Like, like you, don't, you don't picture these things of peace. Like when we, when we imagine peace, we all have a picture and isn't it true that most of us, when we picture peace, we, we picture that first set of images, not the second set of images, right? But have you ever noticed that your daily life tends to look more like the second set of images than the first? And if we're really honest, a lot of us, we spend the majority of our normal lives trying to manage chaos as we fantasize about what it would look like to get to peace. We, we endure the laundry, and the disaster and the mess and the traffic and the calendar and the cubicle, we endure all of it and we fantasize about the place where we'll find the beach or the mountains or the snow-filled cabin or those moments. And so for a lot of us, as we come into this season of Advent, in the midst of an anxious culture, this season of Advent becomes an anxious month where we're thinking about all of the stuff that we have to do. And if we're not careful, when we talk about things like peace, we begin to talk about them through the ideas of the theoretical instead of the reality of what Christ wants to give you. And so this, this morning, I, I want us to wrestle with, in the midst of a world that so often is overrun by the things in the second set of pictures, what does it look like to have hearts that are ruled by the peace of Christ? Like, what's it look like to become people of peace in between the two comings of King Jesus? Now, as we talk about peace, we have to understand that when the world talks about peace, and when Jesus talks about peace, these are two totally different concepts. You know, when, when the world talks about peace, the world is primarily talking about a type of peace that is only made possible when certain things are absent. And so when the world talks about peace, it requires the absence of things like conflict and war and noise and responsibility and maybe even certain people, right? And so when, when, when the world talks about peace, it's, it's a peace that is predicated largely upon the absence of some bad things. Does that make sense? Kind of shake your head if you understand what, it, what I mean there. And, and I want you to understand this. In the future coming of King Jesus, he will eradicate all that is evil and bad. And there will be a day when all of those bad things go. But but when Jesus talks about peace, he does not speak about peace the way that the world talks about peace. He's not just talking about peace that is coming to us because of the absence of some bad things. He talks about peace that is possible because of the presence of someone really good. The world says peace is possible because of what is absent. The gospel says peace is possible because of who is present. Does that make sense? And there are two fundamentally different understandings of peace. And so Jesus says, hey, this thing that I wanna give you, you've gotta be careful that you don't hear it 
through the lens of the world. Because if you're not careful, when Jesus begins to speak of peace, you begin thinking about those moments of escape. You begin imagining your beach or your mountains or your snow-covered cabins. You begin imagining a scenario that requires you to eliminate some things so that you can find the peace that Christ has come to give you. And Jesus says, no, I've, I've come to give you more than that. Because here's the reality is, if you buy into the world's definition of peace, even if you were able to eliminate every challenge and problem and difficult person in your life, if you could escape to a secluded island all by yourself, you still couldn't get away from yourself. <laughs> and there'd be places in you that were still not at peace. And Jesus says, I've come to give you something that the world can't take away. See, here's what, here's what I love about Jesus is Jesus, in the truest sense, he is the man of peace. You know, hundreds of years before he was born, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter nine, I love this, it'll be up on the screen, said that when Jesus comes, look at the scripture with me, he says, this is what he's gonna do. He says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Come on church, read this with me. Prince of peace, come on. Prince of peace, prince of peace. I don't know if you've ever met somebody who has the word prince in their title, but if you have the word prince in your title, like you're a pretty big deal, even if you're the prince of something small, like if you were the prince of Murfreesboro, like you'd be a big deal. Like if, if that was on your business card, prince of Murfreesboro or prince of Nashville or prince of Atlanta or prince of Connecticut or like prince of Saudi Arabia, like if you're a prince, like you're a big deal. And I love this proclamation about Jesus. He's not just a prince of a place. He's a prince of a state of being. He's the prince of peace. He's a prince of peace. And upon his birth, he came with this proclamation of peace. I love that moment in Luke chapter two, verse 14. It says, the heavens were torn open, the angels burst onto the scene. And they made this declaration. They said, this baby that's been born, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. Can you imagine sending out a birth announcement or getting a birth announcement from one of your friends? Here's our little baby, seven pounds, three ounces, bearer of world peace. <laughs> it's a pretty big announcement. That's Jesus' birth announcement, the Prince of Peace, born as a proclamation of peace. He was the teacher that came to proclaim peace. As he's gathering his followers in Matthew chapter five, they're ready to overturn Rome, they're ready. I love what Jesus begins to proclaim in Matthew chapter five. He says, blessed are the what? Come on, blessed are, the, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. He was the prince of peace. His birth was the announcement of peace. He was the teacher who taught peace. He was the embodiment of peace. There'll be no scriptures on the screen for this, but you can just think about all of these stories. You know, that moment where he's in the boat in Mark chapter four in the middle of the storm and the waves are crashing over the boat. And what's Jesus doing in the middle of that chaotic moment? He's sound asleep. Man, is that not the embodiment of peace? Or where he's surrounded by his critics and they're throwing jabs at him and Jesus is just as cool as cool can be. Or as he's hanging on the cross, dying for the sins of humanity and he's praying for the ones that are killing him. He's a prince of peace. His birth was the announcement of peace. He was a teacher of peace. He was the embodiment of peace. And when he returns again, he's gonna bring a kingdom of peace. 
that scene in Revelation 21 where the kingdom of heaven is coming down. All sickness, all sadness, all death, all heartache is done away with. Every tear is wiped away. And Jesus says, take this into your heart. Behold, I'm making everything new. Or Isaiah chapter two, verse four, this picture of the coming kingdom of Jesus, this moment where it says literally nations, nations will beat their swords into plowshares. They will no longer train for war because the world will be at peace when Christ comes and establishes the kingdom again. He's the prince of peace. His birth was the announcement of peace. He was the teacher of peace. He was the embodiment of peace. And he is bringing the future, enduring, everlasting kingdom of peace. And yet here's the great irony of Jesus, this man of peace. Here's the irony of his life, is that his life was not marked by any of the things that we typically associate with peace. Just think about this for a moment. He he was born to two teenage parents who weren't yet married. He spent the majority of his early years moving from place to place, country to country, trying to flee the attempted assassination attempts upon his life. He spent his early years in rather obscurity and poverty. In his early 30s, he starts a ministry where he becomes a celebrity, which sounds good in our culture that worships celebrities, but it says his life was so overrun that he could no longer go into cities or towns. He had to stay in lonely places because he had no personal space anymore. And then the crowds did to him what we do to all celebrities. They lifted him up and then they tried to tear him down. They misunderstood him. They came against him, they betrayed him, and then they killed him. And yet in all of it, Jesus, the man of peace, the prince of peace, born for peace, proclaiming peace, embodied peace, says, I'm bringing you the kingdom of, help me out, the kingdom of peace. And when Jesus speaks of peace, he's not talking about something that's only attainable in that first set of pictures. (laughs) He's talking about something that you live in in the midst of the mess of life all around you. I love this moment in John chapter 14. We're gonna pick up where we were last week. And we've come to the end of Jesus's earthly ministry in John chapter 14. And Jesus has just had this conversation with his disciples, a really beautiful and really hard conversation. They've left this final meal that they've eaten together, the last supper. They're walking to the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus knows he's going to be arrested brutally beaten and crucified for the sins of the world. And it's here on this 45-minute walk from the, from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus begins to have this conversation with his disciples about peace, which is so interesting to me. Can you imagine, like, if, if you were in a car with your closest friends riding to what you knew would be your own death, what would you want to talk about on that car ride? <laughs> See, this shows you so much of who Jesus is. John chapter 14, verse 27, look at this with me. As Jesus speaking, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. He He says, it's my peace, not the world's peace. He says, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace I have, my peace I give. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. I imagine this scene as Jesus is walking with his disciples towards the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't, know how, I don't know how it went down, but here's how I picture it. Jesus is walking. He's just told them that he's getting ready to be crucified, and he starts talking to them about peace. And I just imagine Jesus stopping on that moonlit pathway, and he grabs Peter by the face, and he says, hey, Peter, look me in the eyes. This thing you see in me, this peace that's in me, I want to give you that peace. 
hey, Matthew, this, this thing you see in me, this peace, it's the peace that I wanna give you. Hey, Thomas, what you see right here is, is what I want. He says, you know the circumstances that I'm in. What I want to give you is eternal. And it's beyond that. You know, on Wednesday night when I was talking with Stephen's father in the hospital, in the midst of this worship service, in the midst of all the heartache and all the sorrow, I looked in his eyes and I went, man, he has something that I want. It's the eternal, supernatural, unexplainable, incomprehensible peace of King Jesus. And it doesn't mean the circumstances are good, but it means that Christ is king even when the circumstances feel like hell. And Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, this peace I have is what I want to give to you. And my question for you and for us is, are you experiencing that kind of peace? Do you live with it? Is, that, is it the anchor of your heart? Is it the anchor of your soul or are you still being held hostage to temporary peace that is dependent upon the circumstances of your life? You know, Jesus says, this is a gift I'm giving you. He says, I'm giving you the gift of peace. The, the question is, how do we begin to unwrap this gift of peace? It's a free gift. But how do, you, how do you start unwrapping the gift of peace in like really practical ways so you live it out in the midst of this crazy chaotic world that we find ourselves in? I think there's a lot of ways that we can unwrap it, but this week, just the Spirit of God, he was just he was uncovering a few things for me, and I, I just want to share a few of them with you. And I think one of the first ways we begin to unwrap the peace of Jesus is we understand it starts with us being reconciled to God. It starts with us being reconciled to God. That peace is not anchored in our circumstances. Peace is anchored in the person of Jesus. And it's not until we're reconciled to the reality of who we are in God that we can even begin to experience peace. I love what Colossians chapter one, man, I wish we had so much more time. I wish we could unpack all these verses. Look at Colossians chapter one with me, verse 21. He says, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds. I want you to stop there for a minute. You were enemies in your minds. Have you ever noticed that before, that, that you're not an enemy in God's mind? God's not at war with you. You're at war with God. <laughs> and there's a big difference in that. He says, even when you were the craziest sinner, God was not at war with you. You were at war with God. He says, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds, keep going. Oh, he says, because of your evil behavior. Now, just keep the verse up on the screen for a minute, Cole. I want you to think about this. Have you ever had a moment where you said something bad about a person behind their back and then the next time you saw them, you were convinced that they were mad at you? <laughs> now, I know most of you are more spiritual than me, so you've never done something that evil, but I've, I've had those moments where I've sinned against someone. They didn't even know I sinned against them. And then the next time I saw them, I was convinced that they were mad at me. And he says, this is the way that you lived, spiritually speaking. He says, he says, because of your choices, because of the things that you were doing, you've been convinced that God's been against you. He says, that's not the gospel. He says, you were against God, and when you were against God, God was for you. <laughs> Keeps going, verse 22. 
says, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's body through his death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And I go, how, how do we begin to discover peace in the midst of the turbulent world we're in? It starts with this reality that we go, man, we've got to be reconciled to God through the perfect work of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That's where peace begins. Peace is not just about you getting your calendar in order. Peace is not just about you embracing your truest self. Peace is not about you understanding where you are on the Enneagram and making sure everybody knows it. Like, that's, that's not the source of peace. The source of peace is going, man, I have been made right with my maker through the finished work of his son, Jesus. That's the gospel. Where do you find peace? It begins as we are reconciled to God. And as, as we're reconciled to God, we, we, we begin to foster peace by consistently receiving the truth of that reconciliation. We have to keep receiving that truth, preaching that truth, sitting under that truth. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to be saved but not feel saved? Just raise your hand if you've ever felt that before. You're like, man, I know I'm saved. I just don't feel like it. I'm the worst. How could God love me? I love, go back to verse 22. He says, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death of Jesus to present you what? Holy in whose sight? His sight. Holy in his sight. Without blemish in his sight. Free from, free from accusation in his sight. Guys, here's the promise of the gospel. The gospel is you get made right with God and do you know who looks at you and thinks you're now made right with God? God, <laughs> which is good news. But did you know it's possible for you to be saved by the grace of Jesus and for your friends to still remind you of who you used to be in high school? You know that, just kind of shake your head like it's possible to be saved, but man, to, to really still feel the stigma of your old reputation See, the gospel does not promise that God will change your reputation with other people. The gospel promises that he will change your reputation with Jesus. Oh my goodness. <laughs> How amazing is that? That when he looks at you, what he sees is holy. What he sees is blameless. What he sees is free from accusation, even though the enemy, even though your friends, even though yourself continues to accuse, continues to berate. It's the gospel. It's the gospel of peace, and we keep preaching it to ourselves. We keep receiving. Oh, you know, I think sometimes we say things like this in church because it makes us feel humble. We say, oh, I'm just a sinner getting by. Sinner saved by grace. That's not the truth of the scriptures. You were a sinner who's been saved, and so now you're a saint being made saintly. You're a child being made saintly. <laughs> Even though you still struggle with sin, your sin is no longer your identity. Does that make sense? There's a fundamental shift. How do we experience peace? We're reconciled to God. We keep receiving the truth of who we are in God. And then we are ruled by the power of the Holy Spirit right here and right now. I love Romans 8, verse six. He says, the mind that is governed or under the leadership of the Holy Spirit is a mind of life and what? Help me out, of life and peace. He says when the Holy Spirit is the leader 
of your life, the fruit of your life is a mind of peace. I love Colossians chapter three, verse 15. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. <laughs> Do you notice that, that first word, let? Let? Did you know that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman? He does not force his ways upon you. He doesn't come in and say, be at peace. <laughs> he says, peace is on the table. Will you let it rule you? Will you let it rule you? How do we walk in peace? Man, we're reconciled to God. We keep receiving the truth of who we are in God. We let the power of the Holy Spirit rule us as we do life with God. And then we let Jesus teach us how to live into rhythms of true rest. I love Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Jesus says, learn from me. He says, take my ways upon you and your soul will find rest. See, right now in a secular world that's overrun with anxiety, overrun with fear, overrun with pain, there's lots of conversations right now about how you find peace. And from a secular perspective, almost all of the conversations start with this idea of rhythms. And so even non-Christians are talking about things like Sabbath. <laughs> They're talking about things like slowing down. They're talking about things like solitude and mindfulness and, 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 and all of those things. Here's what I want you to hear is finding good rhythms will indeed supplement your pursuit of peace. But they are mere supplements. They are not the source. And if you put good rhythms in your life, but you are never reconciled to God and you never receive the truth of who you are in Jesus and you don't learn how to walk in the ruling leadership of the Holy Spirit day in and day out. Those rhythms just become another set of religion and they're but a shadow of what God's trying to do in you. And Jesus looks at his disciples as he's walking towards his death in the midst of all sort of chaos and he says, this thing you see in me is what I wanna give you my peace that I have and the world can't take it away. And here's what I've, um, I'm learning. I haven't learned this. It's what I'm learning about peace in Jesus is that, man, it is a process. It, goes, it takes forever to unwrap. It takes a long time to unwrap the free gift of peace. I think about being a kid and we go to my grandmother's house for Christmas and we had kind of a rhythm that we would do Christmas. You know, we'd eat this huge meal she'd cook for like nine hours and we'd eat it in about 15 minutes, you know, and she'd cook this huge Christmas dinner. And then after dinner, we'd all go downstairs to open up presents. And, and she always wanted to savor the moment. So the moment of opening presents, it was kind of the same thing. Here's the rule. One person could open one gift at a time. That was it. And as kids, we hated this rule. There's like 71 cousins. We're like, well, let's go. Let's. And so there's this unspoken rule amongst the cousins. Like you get your gift, you open it fast, say your thank yous, and then get on. Like, you know, like, like we, we got to get to it because we wanted to get to our gift. And I had this, this one uncle, man, when it was his time to open gifts, he just drove me crazy because he'd get his gift and he'd look at it and he'd go, oh, this wrapping paper's so beautiful. <laughs> Show it to his wife show it to his kids commenting on it. I'm like, man, I'm about to kill you. Like, what are you doing? And, and then he'd open that gift like he was trying to save that wrapping paper till the second coming of Jesus, you know, just like one, <laughs> one piece at a time, just like unfold it. And I went, man, why does it take you so long to unwrap a free gift? That's life in the kingdom. 
Jesus says, here it is. It's peace. But you're gonna get it in your life like this, this slow. Sometimes it's gonna come proactively because of choices you make, and sometimes it's gonna come in seasons of such suffering and hardship that you would have never chosen. And the peace of Christ is gonna be unwrapped like this. And here's the beauty, as, as we make peace with God through Jesus, he makes peace in us through Jesus. And then he allows us to make peace through the world that we're in. And so peace never just becomes this personal thing that we receive and hold on to, like, oh, I got it, and you don't. Peace becomes the thing that we as followers of Jesus steward into a world that desperately needs peace. And here's what I'm convinced of. In a world that is anxious and heartbroken and filled with tragedy, one of the greatest gifts that we give the world is a life that is ruled by the peace of Jesus. And so here's what I want us to wrestle with as we go to communion this morning. Just one question that's gonna be up on the screen. I just want you to wrestle with this. Are you actually experiencing the peace-filled, peacemaking life of Jesus Christ? I'm not asking if you intellectually understand it. I'm not asking if you affirm it, believe it, want to sing songs about it. I'm asking, are you experiencing the peace-filled, peacemaking life of Jesus? And if you're not, maybe there's something for you to go back and explore this morning. Maybe there's a place of reconciliation that needs to happen. Maybe there's a truth that needs to be received. Maybe there's some places in your heart where the Holy Spirit needs to begin to reign. Maybe there's some rhythms that need to be adjusted, but are you experiencing the peace-filled, peacemaking life of Jesus? That's what's on the table. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna go to the bar, we're gonna go to the tables. You're gonna take the bread. You're gonna take the cup. We're gonna come back in groups. And I want you to just talk about this with the people that you're with. Pray for each other. Pray for each other that we would not just be recipients of, but that we would be makers of peace in Christ. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the upside down ways of the kingdom. I thank you that in the most unthinkable ways, as you were marching towards your own death, you could speak to us about peace. Jesus, I pray that you would grow our church not just in an intellectual understanding of this reality, but in a tangible, heart-level understanding of this. And that God, in an anxious, heartbroken world, you'd make us makers of peace. In the name of Jesus, amen.